If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock Bromley. There's a common question that comes up about replacing lies with truth. That's something we hit on right from the get-go, our first or second podcast. It was called Suitcase of Lies, and we're actually going to talk more about that today. And to start off, just sharing a message we received from somebody, and she says, in your experience, do the lies you believe get smaller? I feel like something I continue to struggle with are the lies that center around my age. I was 17, technically a child, but my thoughts are always, but I was six months from being an adult. Or mine wasn't nearly as horrific as it happening to an actual child. And I should have seen it coming. And perhaps the loudest one, I could have stopped it at any time. I guess my question is, are some of the lies a fake it till you make it scenario? Like I have to choose to believe it wasn't my fault until I actually believe it? Yeah, that is such a common question I think that we get through email or just when we're at speaking engagements at colleges. So many survivors are struggling with questions like those. But mostly I think the general question is, how do you overcome these lies? Mm -hmm. Whatever lie it is, we all have our own experiences. We all have survived different things. Our healing journeys all look so different but we all have lies that we're living out of. And I think this is kind of like a poisonous vine I talk about in Hush, that it starts small, it's inside of you, it grows and grows until it's affecting every area of our life. And the longer that we allow that poisonous vine to live inside of us, these lies to grow and grow, the more it manifests itself in our behaviors and our thinking and our relationships. And it's just this darkness that, we're kind of living out of if we can't replace it with the truth. And the only way to break free of that oppression is to truly root out these lies, to replace them with truth. The false views that we have of ourselves, the false thoughts that we have about the world or about God, or even just about our abuse in general, like that email said. So for me, um, I think they do get smaller, Mm -hmm. you know, having been on this journey myself for so many years. But I know that you have to pray over them. You have to listen to God's word about them. You have to read about them. I remember just even as a teenager, not talking about my abuse to people, but I was always reading about sexual abuse. I wanted to hear other people's stories. And that helped me understand things like no stepfather should ever do that to their child, you know, because even though I knew it in my head, I thought, well, my situation was different or he re- maybe he really was trying to teach me. No, no stepfather should ever do that. And I needed to read those things and hear other people's stories. And that's why this podcast is so important to me because I want to share people's stories. I want other people to hear our stories mm-hmm. just so they know they're not alone and that the lies that they believe, they are lies. And they're also not uncommon. And so I think A big part of it, too, is talking to mentors and counselors about these lies. So to not allow this vine inside of us to grow and grow and grow. But when we speak it out, when we talk about these struggles that we have, these thoughts that are not correct, it helps us to 
replace it with the truth. When we hear our counselors say, well, I think that's a little bit off, you know, Mm -hmm. we need to hear those things. So for me, I think it is kind of a fake it till you make it sort of thing. Um, A lot of the lies that I've struggled with throughout my journey, I believed in my head as to be to be false. You know, I knew that it wasn't right. And I also believe that for other people, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't accept it in my heart for a while. So it was sort of a fake it till you make it thing until God brought truth or until someone at the right time said the perfect thing for me. And I finally allowed it to sink into my whole being where that poisonous vine just died away. Is that sort of how it was for you too, Mary? Yeah, I think one of the biggest lies I had in my head as an adult after starting my healing journey was... I couldn't understand how God was not freeing me of the anxiety that Mm. came from my abuse. And I I just kept looking at it as, okay, I'm done dealing with this every day. I don't like the way it's making me feel. It makes me want to isolate. And God is not stepping in to rescue me. But then I also realized Well, that's my bad because God doesn't promise that he's going to free you of these things that you see as an obstacle in your life. Mm -hmm. He promises that life's going to be hard, but thankfully we have him to help us walk through those obstacles. And one of the biggest truths I realized is that just because the struggle is still there, that doesn't change who he is. Mm -hmm. Amen. I think that's really good. And, And part of that is living with unanswered questions. Yeah. You know, I think there's some parts of our journey that we will not have an absolute truth for until, you know, we get to heaven and, and God can reveal it then. But until then, we are on this journey and we can trust that he's good and he's mm-hmm. in control and he didn't want these things to happen to us. So there are those truths that we can lean on in the process. And sometimes we don't have, you know, all of the answers. Yeah. It's not always going to be in this pretty little package with a bow. Sometimes you pull up the bootstraps and you just keep <laughs> pushing through and you keep fighting the fight and you just don't give up. So there was a point in time where I was, you know, on this trajectory for being a voice and being in ministry. And I'm on a national platform for speaking about sexual abuse, but I'm still young. I'm in my 20s. I'm still dealing with my own healing. And I remember there was a place in time where I was like, well, I'm not to the point where I feel like I need to get back in that counselor's office, but I do need someone that is older than me that Mm -hmm. gets it, who's a survivor, but who also has a ton of just background of wisdom and truth and encouragement. And so I kind of went the middle route and I sought out this woman who I I knew was that role. She was a counselor, but she was a friend of my mom's. And so I just needed someone who I could call up, you know, when I'm on the road and I just needed some encouragement on my healing journey. And this woman, her name is Debbie. And I just wanted to reach out to her today and talk to her because she helped me through so many lies that I struggled with in that in-between phase, mm-hmm. you know, that middle of the journey where you know your purpose and and you found a lot of freedom, but there's a lot of hiccups along the way. And so um, I just want to hear what Debbie had to say. So we're going to call her right now. Hello? Debbie, it's Nicole. Hey, girl. How are you? I am good. How are you? Good, thanks. Debbie, I'm so glad that you're able to join us today. Um, I know that you're a survivor of sexual abuse yourself, and you're also a counselor. Um, so could you share just briefly a little bit of you know your story and what you're doing now? Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. 
I was raised in uh, a big Irish Catholic family. I'm the third of four kids. And there was a lot that was um, healthy and good about my childhood in terms of structure, but there was also a lot of darkness, mm. and the dark was really dark. Yeah. Um, and so it was um, very confusing because we went to church every week, and we took family vacations. Um, we had dinner together every night. Um, so there was definitely a cohesive family unit. Uh, but at the same time, um, there was abuse. There was verbal mm-hmm. abuse, mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of physical abuse, but primarily um, the most traumatic thing was there was sexual abuse mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. happened over a l- long period of years, mm-hmm. actually started pretty young and continued on in some form or fashion clear through until I left uh, for college. Yeah. And I mean, you've had such a major journey of healing and and doing some things on your own and then finding the Lord and and just seeking in a lot of ways. I know, you know, the reason that I respect and love you so much is because of your relationship with Jesus now and how his healing has affected not only your own heart and your life and your family and your marriage and your kids, but also your ministry. Um, I've just always looked at you as just this deep well of wisdom and hope and uh, just truth, but Mm -hmm. also you're just so relatable. And so for my healing journey, you know, you have been so helpful to me. And I know, you know, we can go for a year without talking. But then if I'm going through something and I don't feel like walking into a counselor's office, you're one of the people that I would give a phone call to because I know that you would be right there with me in whatever dark place I'm at. And and I'm just so grateful for that. And I know that that just is a testimony of, of what God's done you know, in your own heart and in your life. And, and that's sort of why I wanted to talk to you today, Deb, because Mm -hmm. the topic today is about lies versus truth. And it's such Mm -hmm. a common struggle for survivors of sexual abuse to have all of these lies that we believe and we carry into adulthood with us. And it just is like this poison that can affect so many things until we can find the truth. And so for me, you have been so helpful in replacing some of those lies along the way, things that Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk about. But once I was able to talk about them, you helped me to shed light on them and then live out the truth. And so I just wondered today, for one, were there certain lies that you struggled with? And then also, what is your process, either yourself as a survivor or as the counselor that you are now, to help others overcome lies? Yeah, for me, I think the primary lie upon which a lot of things uh, kind of branched off from, and it's as old as uh, Adam and Eve, it's just something that the enemy really likes to do, and it's, it's really coming at the goodness of God. Uh, you know, like he said to Eve, Uh, Did God really say um, a version of that? If God is good, why is he allowing this to happen? Mm -hmm. Uh, If God is truly good, why isn't he answering your prayers? Because I can remember praying as a little girl. I had a a real pure, 
childlike faith. I knew Jesus. I talked to him all the time. And so I would pray about what was happening and ask for the Lord to end it. And uh, he didn't answer that prayer, at least not in the way that I wanted him to. So by the time I was 18 and going off to college, I had decided either there wasn't a God at all, it was all just a made-up thing by man, or if, or if there was a God, uh, he wasn't a God I could trust. I wanted nothing to do with a God called Father, and I just felt that uh, I would probably be better off by myself than trusting in a God like the one that I thought that he was. Yeah. And so I completely walked away from him all throughout my 20s. I was just very much in the world, living for myself. My motto was just kind of, if it feels good and doesn't hurt anybody, fine to do. But the thing is, even though I had walked away from him, he never left me. And he just pursued me like the hound of heaven that he is. And he, he didn't pursue me with conviction, uh, although he could have, based on the way that I was living. But he just pursued me with this relentless love. He understood the wounds of my heart. He knew, you know, how broken I was um, and devastated. and he just came after me uh, with just this love and this, uh, there was really just a period of wooing where he was drawing me back to himself. But the lie that uh, God is not truly good, he is not someone that can be trusted, his promises aren't true, uh, all of those kind of things were deeply rooted in me. Yeah. And uh, as he started to call me back, I would shoot up these prayers like, well, whatever's up there. I started to think, well, there must be some kind of higher power or something. <laughs> um, but I would just say to him, I'm not going to believe that you are real or that the Bible is true, especially Jesus. Jesus was a point of contention for me. Even when I started to believe that there was probably some kind of higher power, I, I would say, if Jesus is truly the Christ, you are going to have to show me personally that I need a personal revelation. And, you know, God just loves to honor and answer prayers like that. Mm -hmm. He is not afraid of an earnest seeker. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your anger, <laughs> um, that your distrust, all of that. And yeah. so he just met me where I was at and gave me that revelation that I know, that I know, that I know that this God man, Jesus is the Christ. And that happened at age 31 for me, that I got on my knees and just surrendered wholeheartedly to this God that I had come to believe and know was real existed and was beginning to understand that he loved me. Yeah. But even after entering relationship with him again, and even with the level of my commitment, the residue of those wounds and those lies uh, were still very deeply embedded. So for me, I can describe a couple of different processes for replacing lies for truth. What happened with me was I was living in Chicago. We moved back to Ohio, where my whole family is. Mm -hmm. I had gone through secular counseling before I came to Christ in my 20s, really thought that I had dealt with all the abuse. But when we moved here, we're close to my family. I had kept three daughters, so there were just a lot of triggers with their little bodies at different ages. And so I just found myself in deep trouble again. I had uh, PTSD, just flashbacks, body memories. But this time around, I knew the healer personally. Mm -hmm. And so it, this process of inner healing prayer, it has different names uh, depending on what part of the country you're in. But the concept is just that you're entering counseling 
but the counselor is a facilitator. And the true counselor, uh, the Holy Spirit, is invited into the session. And the Holy Spirit knows every day of your life. He knows every memory, and he also knows exactly how it affected you. He knows the lies that were planted in the middle of that traumatic event. And so I embarked upon a healing journey of about five to six years, actually, off and on, of doing this type of counseling and inner healing prayer. And in that, the Lord could take me back to a specific event, a traumatic event, and he could show me where he was, how he was responding, also reveal the lies that were planted during that time frame and speak truth to me. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, you were praying and you were just asking God to bring your mind to those places and then asking him to come into them. Yes, exactly. But when when you're dealing with trauma, like we're talking about, it's very hard to do that on your own. Right. And so having another person who's skilled in this mm-hmm. type of ministry, this type of prayer, this type of counseling mm-hmm. um, can help lead you really through that. Crucial. Yeah. yeah. Because you're you go back to the memories, you're getting overwhelmed with emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hard to do and, by yourself. And I've, yeah, I've been through that process really with is. you. I remember in the past, it was very freeing, but it was also, I felt safe because I knew you knew what you were doing and it was mm-hmm. a safe environment and we were praying. It was just, you know, asking God to bring healing. And that's the, the counselor's role too, is to facilitate uh, you know, I might say as a counselor, because this is my passion in my ministry now, right. um, is doing this type of work with others. Mm-hmm. And so my job is, you know, I ask Holy Spirit, can you show, there might be, usually there's something in the present that is triggering mm-hmm. a link to the past, mm-hmm. you know, of shame or despair or anger. Yeah. And so we can go into prayer and ask the Holy Spirit, could you take this person to the root of that emotion. And so the Lord can zero in on where that lie started of shame or I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And then I guide the process because there's also always warfare. This type of ministry sets captives free like nothing I've ever experienced. And so the enemy hates it because through this process, you just receive a level of wholeness that you're truly able to live out your destiny and your calling here on earth instead of walking with such a limp. And so there is definitely warfare. And that's part of my role as a counselor is I just make it a safe atmosphere. Uh, I know who I am in Christ. I absolutely know my authority. And I also know why I have authority because of the price that Christ paid. It's got nothing to do with me. And so I might ask Jesus to speak truth to a client when we've revealed some lies. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there might be some warfare. They might say, well, Jesus is saying this. And I'll know that that does not line up with the truth of God's word. And I'll know that that's not truly Christ speaking, that there's some type of influence there. And so that's part of my job is to just kind of screen that out and to pray and intercede Mm -hmm. and facilitate the process. Do you think that there's a part of this process where, you know, like feeling versus knowing, you know, Mm -hmm. like for me, it was like, I knew truths, but I Mm -hmm. couldn't feel them for a certain amount of time. Where do you kind of line up with that as far as, so maybe someone comes into your office or maybe even you yourself have experienced freedom 
where there's a certain lie you believe for a long time, lived out of it, and eventually God brought truth and you accepted it, but you're not feeling it yet. What do you do with that? Well, actually, there's been a lot of research on the brain recently that's come out that supports why inner healing prayer works. And Mm -hmm. it it talks about exactly what you're talking about. You can know a truth intellectually, Mm -hmm. but the brain doesn't register something as real unless there's experience connected to it. Mm. So, so like someone sitting in your office and feeling like the God of the universe just spoke to their pain, their shame. Absolutely. It's like their emotions are involved. And in that absolutely. moment, it might become so real that now it's not just knowing it, it's actually feeling it and believing it inwardly. Yes. And there's actually brain science to support it. You have mm. this traumatic event and from that, a neuropathway has come out of it and connected to shame mm-hmm. or fear or mm-hmm. anxiety. Well, when you have an episodic encounter with Jesus in that event, a new neural pathway is actually created mm-hmm. so that you can, you remember that event now and the brain has a new pathway to travel that goes to peace, that goes to the truth that Christ spoke, that goes to healing. I don't know if, if that makes sense what it I'm does. talking about. But there, it does. And the... It engages the emotions and the other parts of the body that allows the brain to register that experience as real. Mm-hmm. Right, because Which, God is a personal God. So he wants to teach us absolutely. on a personal level. So his healing becomes not just intellectually, but it's a personal thing because we have a relationship with him. And so I can remember being in counseling, you know, in the last few years, my counselor did this thing called EMDR. And it talks Mm -hmm. about that, that neural pathways and those things. I thought it was so weird at first, but it was very much what you're talking about, what you do in your sessions where, you know, you're actually experiencing it. And it's, it's this whole thing with your brain that you don't even know and understand, but it really does um, change the way that you accept truths and the the way that you look at your trauma completely changes the way you look at it. And so, you know, we, we wanted to talk to you because we just recently got an email from a girl that was asking about this whole thing. Like how long does it take to really accept the truth for lies? And she said, is it kind of a fake it until you make it thing? And so I kind of do think that it's that way until you get that healing, that personal connection where the Lord speaks truth to you. You sometimes do have to fake it till you make it, you know it until you feel it. But what do you think? Do you agree with that? Yes, uh, and that's a very frustrating place to be when you know, I know that this abuse wasn't my fault. You know, I'm an adult now. I know what a five-year-old is capable of, and I know that I was manipulated. But yet, you still feel the, the shame and the, the uh, dirty and all of that. So there is a sense of that you do have to hang on to what you know is true. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is that there's too much help out there now. Mm. To just only do that, that right. might be the first step, but to go um, seek someone who does EMDR or formational prayer, or inner healing prayer, where yeah. the senses, you know, in some of these encounters where Jesus would take me back, the senses are engaged. I could see him. I could hear him. Sometimes uh, smell. I could smell the scent of the oil in his hair. When you're engaging your senses like that, then your mind is going to register everything happening as real and true in a different level than if it's just intellectual. 
it becomes a, a memory that you have. It's an alternative memory to what happened when you see Jesus come in, when you see and feel him hold you, when, you uh, when he takes you out of that situation and takes you to a safe place. He may sing over you. He may rock you. And this might sound a little strange to people, but it is supernatural, but it's also very real. And I love now that we have the scientific understanding of what's happening in the brain to back it up. Right. And I think you're making a good point, too, that this isn't something that you just have to live with the struggle. There is so much help available to us today that we all we have to do is reach out and look. There are people out there, people like you, you know, people like my other counselor, Sharon, you know, Mm -hmm. that this is what they do and they have a heart to help us with this because they really believe in it. And a lot of times it's because they've experienced it themselves, just like you have. Absolutely. Yeah, it was when I was going through it. I mean, I was already a counselor, but I wasn't working. I was home with my kids. So I was just amazed by the healing that was happening in me. But this counselor part of me was just completely astounded. Like, I was like, Lord, what is this? Because I had worked with women who were sexually abused prior to Christ in secular counseling. And had felt that frustration of they know it and I know it that it's not their fault, but they can't truly get it. They can't really get the truth. And I felt like at best, sometimes all I could do is help them to learn how to walk with a limp. But this type of healing with with the Holy Spirit and Jesus at the center is thorough. There is a wholeness. Uh, that is available that is not available in other ways. And the reason that there are people like me and your counselor out there who are passionate about doing this is because Christ is passionate about his children. He's brokenhearted and furious about the devastation that has happened to his kids, especially through sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And that we even know how to do this. I mean, he's, the Holy Spirit has released it. And like I said, it's been released in different pockets of the world and they have different names for it, but there's this similar vein that runs through all of it. Just healing by the hands of Jesus in a very real way. So this is what he wants for you. He's desperate for you to be whole. He is just desperate to replace those lies with his truth for you to know how loved you are in his heart for you. And so to uh, settle for less is not an option. It doesn't have to be. We don't have to continue to just live out of our lies and our pain, that there are options available and, um, and people who want to help. And I'm so glad you're one of them, Debbie. You have helped me so much um, to get to where I am today. And I'm just really grateful and grateful for your time today, Debbie. Thank you so much. Oh, it's, it's such a privilege to... Be involved in any kind of ministry you're doing, Nicole. I just love keeping up with it on Facebook, and uh, you were just out there on the front lines, and I just consider it a privilege any way I can contribute to what you're doing. Thank you so much for being here. Make sure you check out the One Voice podcast next month to hear from our friend Allie Marie Smith, founder and director of Wonderfully Made. She's going to share her inspiring journey and keys to overcoming unhealthy body image and disordered eating. Feel free to subscribe, write a review if there was something that touched your heart. And you can even share this with friends and family members to help more people on this journey of healing from sexual abuse. Check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.